Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Another episode of the e-commerce growth series here in North America, joined by Scott Emans and Albert Vita. So Scott, uh, you can introduce Albert and we get to it. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Carlos. And uh, we are thrilled uh, to have uh, Albert Vita uh, as our guest today. Uh, uh, I have uh, uh, known uh, Albert uh, uh, for several years uh, now. Uh, we actually met as both of us were uh, kind of on the retail innovation speaking circuit uh, there uh, uh, for a while. I think I think I met you at Future Stores in Seattle. Yes, Albert. Future Stores, Scott. Yeah, so uh, you gave an amazing talk uh, there and uh, it was very inspiring for me. And uh, 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 we got to know each other and uh, I, I got to uh, even uh, uh, visit uh, you at your offices uh, in Atlanta. That's right. Uh, when you were at Home Depot, when I was in Atlanta talking at some other conference um, uh, at the time, uh, as a matter of fact. So uh, looking at you know kind of your bio, Albert, uh, uh, you know, you've been doing kind of retail strategy and technology uh, for a long time now. Uh, you've been, uh, you know, a, uh, a premier speaker, a keynote speaker, you know, at a lot of uh, major events, uh, you know, that retailers and, and, and e-commerce executives, uh, you know, attend to, to get better and smarter uh, uh, at their jobs. Uh, uh, you are, you know, quoted in national publications, you know, um, uh, you know, I've, I watched an interview with you, uh, you know, at the PSFK event, uh, that was, uh, very good. I, you know, I thought, uh, uh, as well. And of course you really made your mark at the home Depot as kind of, uh, being the innovation guy right, uh, there, which was, you know, I really looked up to you for that because I was, you know, trying to run my own innovation program, uh, you know, at Nima Marcus at the time and and took inspiration from a lot of things you were doing. So welcome, Albert. Uh, guys, thank you so much for having me. I I'm absolutely thrilled uh, to be able to uh, join in and hopefully add some insights to all your listeners today. And, and, and Scott, what an introduction. I, I need you to like introduce me every day and get some theme music and it's like better than a Red Bull to like yeah. uh, get that kind of introduction. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Um, so uh, to piggyback on what you were saying, yes, most recently, uh, recently parted uh, and left the Home Depot, but it really the, the role that I had at Home Depot uh, was, was such a dream opportunity. For the past seven years, I led strategy and innovation, uh, particularly in the in-store experience. So in addition to being responsible for core merchandising experiences within the Home Depot and its 2000 stores in the United States, I was also responsible for emerging technologies um, and even culminated in what we called a pilot store or our, our own store of the future. But as we take a step back and we look at the United States and this country coming out of the pandemic and What's exciting about this topic, and I know that the, the, the subject matter of the show is e-commerce growth, but what I really wanna do today is, is laser focus on e-commerce growth, specifically in the home improvement retail sector. I'm so passionate about retail innovation overall, but man, if what's stronger than passion? I'm obsessed and I'm like white hot laser focused on, on the home improvement sector, not only as a former Home Depot associate, but this is just how I see things, guys. You know, that our, our homes are, are where our lives and where our love happens. It's where our children take our first step. So yes, even though we're part of retail, to me, I feel like it's a different kind of story. The way I like to think about it is the Home Depot sells roofing and toilets and electrical sockets, right? And air conditioners. And, and it's not necessarily Scott and Carlos, the most sexy uh, you know, type of merchandise, but here's my challenge. I challenge anyone listening to go one day without a roof, without power, without a toilet, 
without air conditioning or whatever you need, especially over the summer. And then you realize that there are there's a different level of essential uh, needs. It's right up there, I'm sure, with 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 food and and uh, clothing and 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 how we're going to protect our family. So uh, I'm definitely happy to be here. Great, uh, thank you so much, uh, Albert. So, um, you know, I think uh, uh, first of all, I would say that uh, it would, if it were my preference, I would drop the E uh, out of the name of this show, and it would just be called the Commerce Growth Show. Yes. So, <laughs> number one. Uh, uh, so make note of that, by the way, Carlos, the, uh, you know, we, we're, we're about commerce growth, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, subdividing, you know, e-commerce versus, you know, other kinds of commerce is, is bad. We should be, we should be looking at the big picture. The, uh, uh, thinking about the home improvement market, uh, that has been on fire, uh, you know, thanks to, the pandemic, right? You know, I think, you know, there's there's definitely been uh, an extraordinary acceleration uh, in that uh, in that area. They were one of the winners. You know, I, I, if I were still at uh, Neiman Marcus, that that's a, a, an area that's really struggled thanks to the pandemic, right? Not, not a winner uh, uh, as a result. So, uh, you know, innovation, even more important, <laughs> I think there, right. That, you know, as a, as a means of survival, uh, where if you think about home improvement, you know, innovation is, is really, you know, uh, crucial as a way to keep up, right. right? Uh, uh, with, uh, you know, the speed of growth that's going on there. So tell us, uh, you know, can you, do, do you have some insight into what growth looked like over the last year? And that, yeah, and that absolutely. Thing. And so to your point, Scott, um, you know, as an insider at the Home Depot last year, uh, and it was one of the things that was a conflict for us was, was we were seeing dramatic growth uh, across all of the merchandising categories and digitally. But it was always important to keep in mind why it was happening. I mean, people were sick, people were dying. And so even though comps were through the roof, it was always tempered. It was always, let's make sure we do what's right for our, first and foremost, what's right for our uh, customers safety-wise and what's right for our associates uh, safety-wise. And really making sure that we maintain that essential status as a retailer was definitely top of mind uh, for a retailer like the Home Depot. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Whoops, <clears throat> um, let me grab a drink of water. Okay, of course. We'll allow it. You guys got me excited. I'm just like uh, beside myself. So, <laughs> I, I wanted to make, maybe you guys can edit that out of uh, post-production. <laughs> Carlos, that's all you, buddy. So, but the point I was trying to make <laughs> sure. was that home improvement retailers across the board really are coming out of the pandemic um, in a position of strength uh, really stronger than before. And, and this is, when I say across the board, Lowe's, Menards, Ace Hardware, Tractor Supply, the Home Depot, right? Like all of the major players in this sector are coming out of, of COVID in, in, in definitely a, a stronger uh, position. And, and so let's dive into some of the numbers uh, just a little bit, Scott. So when, and then I'll be focusing mostly on, on Home Depot and, and Lowe's as well. So sure, sure. the way we want to talk about e-commerce growth or commerce growth coming out of the pandemic really needs to start several years ago, even pre-COVID, right? Uh, several years ago when the Home Depot announces their go-to-market strategy, which is referred to as One Home Depot, uh, Lowe's has a similar growth strategy uh, according to their priorities, which they call Lowe's Total Home. And so each of these major home improvement retailers have their uh, disparate growth strategies. But if you look at fiscal year 2020, massive growth, right? These are billion dollar organizations that in the Home Depot's case comp 20% year over year and Lowe's comp 26% for the year. I mean, it's, it's massive. Um, and if you just look at Q1, of this year of 2021, I mean, the comps were, they cried, they, each of these companies both crushed it. Home Depot had a 33% comp over Q1 last year. Uh, Lowe's had a 26% a comp over last year. I mean, just crushing it. 
So let's hone in uh, uh, to e-commerce, right? And if you look at Q1 of just this year, the Home Depot saw a 27% year-over-year um, increase uh, in sales digitally, whereas Lowe's saw a 37, 37% growth uh, in Q1 from last year. I mean, these are monstrous numbers. And then even if you take a step back, right, from Q1 of this year and go back two years, the Home Depot over 100% growth and Lowe's digitally over 146% uh growth digitally so these are the, the the way that my mind wraps you know where my mind goes to when you hear such dramatic growth of digital numbers is what are the downstream effects right store uh, uh store impacts associates labor supply chain right what's the vendor's ability to provide product when your online channels are, are, are burning through so much, uh, burning through so much inventory so so quickly. Scott, I mean, speaking about the Home Depot for a second, I mean, the Home Depot absolutely saw a spike in its digital channels. And what that meant was that the interaction between those digital channels, its customers, its stores, and its associates shifted. I mean, the Home Depot had to rearrange that whole equation, right? And digital wasn't just about buying online and getting it delivered. And we're talking about um, expanding BOPIS, curbside. I know you've talked a lot about on the show, lockers, express garden delivery, and, and more. I mean, the, the reason why it was important to talk about a couple of years ago and one Home Depot and the architecture and the supply chain and the investments that Home Depot made years ago was that because it spent years and a major investment to connect logistics, delivery, supply chain, uh, and its customers and its digital, what COVID did for the Home Depot was really provide a chance to exercise that muscle, right? To exercise all that muscle that was put in place uh, to support uh, the one Home Depot strategy. So. So let me take a, a, a pause here and let you react. But for me, the data clearly shows that because Lowe's and Home Depot invested so heavily leading up to last year, it really put both of those companies in a good position uh, to take advantage when there was when there was opportunity. So thinking back, uh, you know, over the years, uh, uh, I lived through the dot com bust. Uh, I lived through the 2008 crash, uh, you know, which were both devastating, you know, uh, to the, the, at least the segment of retail I was, uh, I was in. And, uh, and, the, and those, in those years of my career, I was, I was on the data side of things and, and the business intelligence <clears throat> side of things. And so, you know, you know, one of the things, you know, we were tasked with doing, was you know how to filter all that data out as an anomaly, <laughs> so that you know when when we were looking at comps, you know prior year comps, you know we were looking at you know uh, uh, examples that did not necessarily include these one time events, right? You know these these bumps in the road. So uh, if you think about COVID, let's 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 hope that was a bump that's you know here and now. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, we're at least at the beginning of the end uh, of that. Uh, it, it, it feels a little like that, though news from India and other places, you know, are, are concerning, but it feels a little bit like maybe we're, we're seeing the beginning of the end. Um, uh, so what, what, what do we, you know, do we have to, do we need to be careful about uh, over exuberance, you know, with those numbers. Um, yeah, you know what? A, what an interesting question, and, and the way that I'm interpreting it, Scott, is okay. Where do we go from here on top of that, right? Um, so one of the things that I look at were uh, what were Americans deferring last year, and what I mean by that, the stats show that 49% of of Americans deferred vacations, deferred traveling, and deferred events attending event makes total sense with the with the pandemic you couldn't if you wanted to yeah that's right and about 20 percent of the country um 
uh, deferred buying a car, you know, for example. So there's a lot of deferred purchases. One of the stats as well, Scott, that I want to throw out there is that despite the massive growth we saw in home improvement, 29% of Americans also deferred home improvement projects. So for me, my what I'm how I'm interpreting that is that despite the growth of last year, I would still like I'm still very bullish on the home improvement sector, both physical stores as well as online, at least certainly for the next two years. And because that deferred backlog of projects is healthy. Uh, and if you look at the real estate market overall, uh, home, home prices are, con are continuing to rise. Homeowners balance sheets are healthy. Uh, and all of those factors lend towards more homeowners spending more. So, so for me, I feel like, yes, it was a blip um, uh, in, in it certainly had some positive repercussions commercially for these companies. But I'm still saying that uh, I'm going on the record saying that at least for the next two years, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some outpaced growth uh, as, as well. Uh, Scott, as well, I, if you take a look at homedepot.com, just as a standalone site, I mean, the word that comes to mind is it's just monstrous, right? If it was a standalone e-commerce site, uh, homedepot.com would be one of the fifth largest uh, in the country. Uh, homedepot.com had 3.6 billion visits last year and what that means doing some of the quick math right if you take out all the infant children in the country it means that every man and woman in the united states went to homedepot.com 15 times each last year right so i mean these are just it's really sort of like mind-boggling numbers i mean also the facts got that 55 percent of online orders for the Home Depot are picked up in a store. I mean, man, we start talking about mixed cart, right? And this idea of a customer's cart being fulfilled through multiple channels, store, online, DC, right? And that sort of mixed cart uh, message. And it's just it, it's just such an interesting um, story. There's a, there's a quote I have here from Craig Manier, who's the CEO of Home Depot. The investments we made in the business over the past year were the right ones, as they have enabled agility and flexibility to execute on critical business decisions in challenging and dynamic uh, operational environments. I mean, that to me sums it up, right? They, you, you bet big on, on supply chain, logistics and big right uh, as a matter of fact home depot is continuing to make investments if you take its massive supply chain footprint uh which drives e-commerce right you start thinking about the distribution centers right home depot is looking to grow its supply chain fulfillment space by 70 percent this year in 2021 so you take a a beast of a supply chain and you almost double it this year. I mean, you're, you can see where some of these investments are, are paying off. Yeah. It's, um, I, I, for sure, you know, over the last year, there were really only kind of two kinds of stores that, you know, I frequented and that was uh, grocery and home improvement. Right. That was, uh, <laughs> you know, with home improvement being, you know, about the only entertainment outlet you know around if you went stir crazy. I mean, we, we heard that. We heard that like because it was open, like people were families were coming to the store, you know, and, and you know, hey guys, in all seriousness, I mean we did place restrictions on number of people, but like whole families were coming through because we were open. Right. And uh, Look, I you were heard open. that before Scott. You you uh you you guys uh you know you and Lowe's both were pretty quick to ramp up curbside, um, you know, with, and, and not without its bumps. Yes. Uh, you know, I'll say, I mean, I used, I used the curbside many times, uh, you know, I, I, I'm fully vaccinated now. So I'm, I, I, I've gone back to going in the store now. Uh, but the, uh, I definitely use curbside. Now, now let's talk about that, you know, because that's everybody's first go-to example of how we innovated right. during the, uh, during the pandemic. You know, and I would say that, you know, from, at the Home Depot experience, they, they you know, curbside uh, 
was pretty good, but it, there, there was definitely room for improvement uh, in terms of speed of execution and the amount of store staff that, you know, were dedicated to it, uh, you know, and the kind of buy-in from the local stores uh, on the process. Uh, what, what, were the, what were the challenges uh, to, to roll that out as good a product as I, I, they clearly wanted it to be? Yeah, no, Scott, I, I know that the topic of curbside has come up on a couple other episodes on this show. So I'm happy to share the, the home improvement uh, lens through that as well. And, and having personally gone through that last year, I, I mean, I, I'd be the first one to say that absolutely kudos to the over 400,000 associates that, uh, uh, that enabled curbside. But let's be honest, the the speed at which we rolled it out, the manner in which we rolled it out, right? We knew early on that there were going to be bumps and bruises and that this was not going to be the end all be all, right? In addition to curbside, uh, one of the things that we rolled out as a company across the stores, across the chain was plexiglass, right? And how do we keep our customers safe in terms of both our um, both in terms of just social distancing and just doing what we can uh, to separate to to make sure we slow down the the any kind of spread of of the virus. But there were a lot of initiatives last year, Scott, that certainly uh, in terms of exercising the muscle and the and, and hats off to the leadership team as well that made that possible and the associates that made that possible. But I, I without going too far into it, I would just say. I'd be the first one uh, uh, to raise my hand and say, I absolutely recognize the friction. I absolutely recognize the confusion, even for me personally, right? You pull up to the parking lot of a, of a home improvement warehouse, right? And the signage of where to go isn't clear, right? It's just, it's not clear, right? And so, or the signage in the parking lot was <laughs> fell over or whatever the case may be. I just say that obviously curbside is going to be a big deal moving forward. Um, but uh, from an operator perspective, Scott, it was just uh, uh, we were doing <laughs> we were doing everything we could at the time with with the resources and, and time we had. Look, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the signage in the parking lot, actually, because, you know, it was temporary. You know, it was built out of home improvement materials that they took out of the store and, uh, uh, you know, built homemade stands, uh, you know, and, and stapled signs to it that said, you know, pick up space one, pick up space two, you know, and it's still that way today, right? You know, so yeah, is there, is there a long-term long commitment to, you know, continuing with curbside? Yeah, absolutely. The, the visual merchandising, you know, uh, director and me would say, we didn't actually buy stuff off the shelf and put it, we did a, a one step above that. But let me put it to you this way. Um, wayfinding, wayfinding is still the number one customer pain point when shopping a, a physical big box home improvement store, whether it's Lowe's or, or Home Depot or, or Menards, which is even larger uh, yeah. than those two other stores. And the wayfinding even begins outside, right? And so the way I like to think about this um, is never been there with really fresh eyes. And one of the things I always talked about with my team was how do we protect our fresh eyes, right? Because you're staring at curbside and plexiglass and store operations as a job. And so then you get desensitized to what the what the real customer might feel in that situation, right? Absolutely. It's just human nature that we lose a little bit of empathy uh, on what that first time shopper is seeing um, because we're, we're just so close to it. So certainly empathy is definitely one of the things that we, we talked about as well. But to your point, right? Like just opportunities, opportunities abound, right? Like clearly curbside is gonna be here to stay. I mean, I've heard some conversations and a common question I get asked what were some of the changes that we implemented during COVID that you would see survive into the future? And obviously, uh, curbside is one of the first ones that comes to mind. So mm -hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, uh, once retailers, and certainly not just Lowe's and Home Depot and Home Improvement, but once retailers start getting some of the data and start having more um, of a runway in terms of being able to 
learn, okay, we put this out into the parking lot, the, the first rain, it knocked it over. Or we put this into the parking lot and 70% of our customers still were confused about where to go in the curbside. <clears throat> so for us, it's like, oops, I got another one. <clears throat> Carlos, edit this out, okay? Uh, we like it. It makes yeah. you human, Albert. We're fine. Exactly. With it. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> Makes him look even better. Guys, I'm drinking. I don't want to like spew while I'm uh, live. <laughs> we, we, so. we, we know that that's a glass full of vodka. We get it. <laughs> no, I, uh, it's it's 9.30 a.m., so uh, maybe in a couple hours, my friend. But um, I, at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it, like I was saying before, uh, both Lowe's and Home Depot and the other home improvement big box retailers really showed a lot of agility a lot of innovation, um, even uh, what what Lowe's is doing um, uh, as far as spring. Um, one of the one of the things that I was really impressed by that Lowe's did recently was their Spring Fest, right? And you start thinking about omni-channel and interconnected retail. One, what Lowe's did with Spring Fest was just brilliant. Um, so every week <laughs> uh, in, in the month of uh, in the month of April, uh, they offered free kits, free garden kits, a surprise. Yeah, they were, they were, every they time I tried to get one, they were out of them, by the way. Yes, so there's a, there's a bad side to that. Yeah. yeah. But what, Scott, what happened was it required uh, the new user to uh, activate their MyLows account online. And so to me, it was just one of those opportunities where uh, really thinking through Omnichannel, how can we use our online, our digital properties to actually acquire new customers and activate them in a physical store. So for me, I just feel like it was just a great example. Well, Scott, I know I thought um, smart. I, thought it was I waited in line to get mine, but if you look at the uh, Lowe's bucket behind me, uh, uh -huh. one of them was, uh, one of the weeks was a, a garden kit. Uh, one of the weeks was a mystery pinata, right? And um, so you can see that behind me as well, but it was just a, uh, uh, for me, a great example on Lowe's part uh, from an omni-channel and an innovation perspective. Yeah, Jen, no, I I don't, uh, Scott, I don't want to digress too much, but it's interesting for me as a, as a Brazilian living in Denmark, talking to two guys in North America, seeing that you keep a, a, an eye, a very it's close confusing. eye. That, you're, everything about you is confusing, Carlos. I understand. I understand. Well, let, let's keep rolling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You got uh, Albert. You're talking. You're mentioning Lowe's, uh, and and I find that very interesting because you mentioned that because you have them as a benchmark, and you keep a you used to keep a very close eye at what they were doing, and you know, so you could see. I don't know. Is it a competitor in the first place? Oh, absolutely. Right yeah. now, keep in mind, uh, I am no longer. I no longer have my my Home Depot orange apron on. Sure. But as a day job, right? I mean. Home Depot's perspective, from my opinion, was always focused on the customer, right? We had an expression at Depot, uh, when we take care uh, of our associates, our associates will take care of our customers and uh, everything else will take care of itself. So, so more so than focus any competitor um, in the space, whether it's a Lowe's or a, or a Wayfair or a floor and decor or something like that. Um, it, the the obsession is not on the competitor, but certainly what can we do operationally uh, to improve and focus on our own uh, metrics that we can control. But uh, clearly, Wall Street, as well as the rest of uh, the country, I'm sure, a lot of the times when you're talking about home improvement as a sector, um, Lowe's and Home Depot get mentioned in the same sentence, right? Right. And um, for example, even their quarterly earnings, right? They're one day apart, right? And uh, a lot of the times like the analysts will, will compare head to head, you know, mm -hmm. even just like what I did today, uh, as far as some of the numbers when you can look at it either annually or, or per quarter. But, um, but no, absolutely. So I would say that uh, not only, um, not only from a competitive perspective, but certainly from a benchmarking, uh, and certainly Lowe's is absolutely a leader uh, in this space. Well, if you take a step back and you and we talk a lot about home improvement as if it's one thing, and really it's not, right? You double click on home improvement 
and you realize there's really three major merchandising categories uh, within home improvement, uh, and uh, certainly that's how Home Depot defined it. Decor, building materials, right, and hard lines, right? And so uh, decor, everything from paint, flooring, kitchen and bath, right? Then you get into building materials, lumber, plumbing, electrical, uh, and then you get into some of the hard lines, right? Which would be things like power tools, hardware, uh, garden, outdoor garden, things like that. Mm -hmm. and, the, and certainly when you start talking about home improvement, the idea is, is that most home improvement retailers talk about their customers in, in three primary customer segments. You've got the pro, right, which is the professional contractor, professional plumber, professional electrician. This is how I make my livelihood. Then you have a second category, the DIY, right, the do-it-yourselfer, and, and then now a third growing category, which is often referred to as the DIFM, which is the do it for me. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm knowledgeable, I know what I want. And so that, <laughs> that, that, would, be my, that would be me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too, um, but uh, uh, to me, I just feel like we'll kind of get into what my current venture is um, in just a little bit. But uh, to me, there's even a fourth category. Right. And this is what I'm focusing my latest venture Homebirds on um, is that I'm betting that there's actually a fourth category. So if you look at that spectrum, pro, DIY, DIFM, I'm betting that there's a fourth category over here that no one really talks about, which I'm calling the DKA. Don't right. know. Hold on. Hold there. Hold, we'll, right. save that, we'll save that as a surprise for the end. So, yep. you know, the, you know, to hold the audience, uh, you know, through the end of the episode. Oh, the whole is, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I, I'm happy yeah. to talk about what we're working on now. We're going we're gonna to find out the new mysterious fourth category from Albert. Yeah. Um, but let, let's continue our, our, our general discussion about the home improvement uh, uh, market and in, uh, in general, and you know, so it, you know, as you were, you know, talking about Lowe's and Home Depot, and and you know, kind of the different categories, uh, uh, you know, things. I, I love that you mentioned floor and decor. You know, I think that's a that's a very good experience. Uh, uh, you know, I've certainly uh, I've shopped there for things, and you know, was uh, was happy with the experience I got there. Uh, uh, I frequent Ace Hardware, my local Ace Hardware a lot. It's also a very good experience, you know, and it's one of those deals where it costs a little more, but it's more intimate and the, uh, the, it's more personalized and it's easier to get in and out of than a big box, you know, that kind of thing. It has some, uh, it has some things going for it. Right. Uh, and, and they also are very good about incenting me to come with discounts and coupons and, you know, $5 off things and stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're pretty capable. And then the, the last one that, you know, is definitely uh, the elephant uh, in the room is tractor supply is, you know, they're, yeah. they're just freaking knocking it out of the park. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's, it's pretty awesome. You know, yeah. and here's the interesting thing, Scott, I know you'll appreciate this. And obviously our competitors in blue get um, mentioned a lot uh, with Home Depot, but the important thing to realize is that there are certain players, um, niche players, that are dominant in their space, you know, like for example, yeah, Harbor Freight. Yeah, exactly right. You know, and like if you're looking for lighting and and deco lighting, I think it's a mistake to not go to Wayfair and take a look at what they've got, right? And if you're looking to redo your floors, I think you have to look at floor and decor, right? And kind of what they're doing over there too. So. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like I, I'm, I'm rooting for, for all of the retailers. You know, I'm rooting for retail in this space and because at the end of the day, who I care about most is the homeowner, right? And the more competition and the more innovation, um, you know, to me, I just feel like it's, it's who benefits, it's going to be the homeowner. You know, mm -hmm. my tagline used to be, you know, it's not about the store of the future. It's about the customer of the future. That's yeah. that should be the focus. And that's really what you just said. I think. Yeah. So, uh, um, so, uh, so I, I will, we'll go back to Home Depot since that's your alma mater. Uh, uh, and, and so one of the things that really stands out about the Home Depot experience is the mobile app. Right. Uh, uh, the, it has some very knock your socks off capabilities. 
what was what was your involvement in bringing some of that uh, you know that 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 wayfinding, which is amazing. Uh, and then, you know, there's also a pretty incredible uh, uh, image search capability that, that, that didn't really get as much airplay as you would think, right? right. But uh, pretty capable. Yeah. yeah, no, the image search capability is one of the ones that uh, absolutely was one of my favorites as well. But let me answer the question directly. So you take a step back and, and I agree with you. What uh, the team did on the, on the mobile app side was nothing short of amazing. And my role really was, how do we activate this in the store? Are, are there, how do, what are some of the mobile best practices, leadership lessons, technologies that we could potentially activate in the store to, to benefit the customer that's, that's physically walking around uh, one of the 2000 stores. And, and Scott, you hit it right on the head. And I'm gonna keep coming back to our number one problem, which is gonna be wayfinding. Right. So which image search also is an a, a element of that as well. But one of the tests that we did at our pilot store was to introduce our wayfinding capabilities from the mobile app onto tablets and large screens, large touch screens um, inside uh, the store. You know, one of the things as well was that in addition to typing in what you were looking for, um, we were also tested voice. Right, being able to have a customer uh, speak to the screen and, and being able to then guide uh, through there. One of the other tests that we did in addition to, to the wayfinding was just content, right? The amount of rich how-to content uh, that's available online through HomeDepot.com and how to, what's the right way to activate that in the store? You know, one of the things as well, Scott, one of the questions that I got frequently you know, as being the program lead for our store of the future or our pilot store was what was your favorite pilot? What was the pilot that you personally? That's a, great, that's a good question. I want to ask that question. <laughs> so Scott, you know, and Carlos, for your benefit as well, imagine this, right? The Home Depot takes an actual store in the Atlanta area that's um, average in terms of its square footage, 100,000 square feet and revenues at a live store. And we put in 90 plus unique pilots into a, a single store. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing, and, and uh, uh, not to get into the specifics, but let me actually just get right to the punchline, right? The vast majority of our 90, 100 pilots that we put into the store were one and done. Meaning, we glad, I'm glad we did it, we're glad we did it, but it's not gonna live on to roll out, right? That, that's the vast majority. But a small percentage, Scott, and this is something that's going to tap into your, your Neiman days, is that a small percentage were out of the park home runs, right? So whereas the, the vast majority were like iffy, questionable, right? But based on the KPIs and the analytics and the camera analytics that we use, Scott, we identified five that were out of the park home runs. And then, then receive a huge subsequent uh, investment into the stores uh, downstream as well. But you know, the amazing thing about this, Carlos and Scott, if I were to list the 100 pilots, the 90 pilots that we put into this store, and without knowing what were the handful that were really going to be out of the park home runs based on customer feedback, associate feedback, sales, those kinds of things, I bet that all three of us would not get it right. I'd be surprised if all three of us didn't get any of the handful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I, I love that something right? similar. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like because you start thinking innovation and we we've been so conditioned that digital equates innovation. Mm -hmm. Right. And it just absolutely was not my experience. Right. Uh, when we start talking about empathy and humility and absence of ego as tools when you're actually designing. I mean, these are critical tools. I actually call them superpowers. But uh, but here's here's the thing, right? I mean, when you talk about human-centered design, it's it's so easy to say, but so difficult to actually implement, right? And so you and you realize that what actually moved the needle. What actually moved the needle for our customers and associates was not the tech, 
was, wasn't the AR VR, it wasn't the AI test or the voice commerce test that moved it. It was very human environmental types of things, um, you know, and the one that is most visible is the improved sign package, right? You start looking at, you start looking at uh, um, wayfinding as the biggest problem that we were facing from a physical store perspective. So it just stands to reason, right? You improve the directional signage in the store to allow a customer to self-solve throughout the store. So, so for me, it was just one of those opportunities where, where uh, starting off with the mobile technology and trying to be creative with how we can reuse some of that, uh, there was also just massive learning where and when technology makes sense inside a, a physical store. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sum all that up with three statements, right? You know, first the first thing you told us was you have to kiss a lot of frogs, but eventually you'll find a prince. That's number. That's the first thing you told us, right? Uh, you need to solve real problems for your customers, right? That's that's where you find success. Uh, and just because it's digital, shiny, and new does not make it a does not make it better. Those are the three right. things I just heard from you. Yeah. Scott, you know, it's funny. I've been using this line for years now and I'll, I'll bring it up again, which is random acts of digital don't work. <laughs> I mean, it's so clunky, right? Like and, and oh, yeah. the, the amazing thing is, is I that may have been guilty. I may have been guilty of a few. No, random acts of my friend. But like, hey, you know, we've been there certainly as well. But, you know, like uh, I've lost track of how many requests I got. Hey, why can't we put an iPad over here? Let's put a touch screen over here or how about some digital signage? So, so certainly it, it um, that's where, that's why for me, the, the biggest pilot or the biggest innovation for me coming out of pilot store and our store of the future was some new muscle tissue around measuring innovation in the stores, whether that's cameras, whether it's customer insights, right? However you need to get the data in terms of, is this working or not? Um, and the reality is, is that sales is just the tip of the iceberg, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine an iceberg, I talk about this all the time, right? Like you're measuring innovation sales, which is what most retailers use today, tip of the iceberg. So what are we hearing from the customers themselves? True customer qualitative information quotes. And what are you, did you even notice it? Uh, associate feedback, um, as well as cross-functional metrics, um, like, I put something into a store, what does that do for shrink? What does that do to boost online? What does that do for labor forecasting for the store? So there's cross-functional metrics all tied into designing a physical store. And Scott, believe me, if there's anyone on the planet that knows, <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, Mr. Emmons. And so, um, but uh, that's just been my experience as well. Well, let's let okay. Let's roll our sleeves up just a little bit, uh, uh, and uh, uh, we'll get down into you know down into the fine grain. Uh, uh, that, that, we we were talking about the mobile app, right? You know, and it's uh, you know having a great mobile app is amazing, right? You know, uh, but uh, it's not amazing if you go in the store and there's no signal and there's no Wi-Fi coverage. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I participated with a team that built an amazing app for our customers and an amazing app for our associates. And it turned out our Wi-Fi in our stores sucked, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and it took me three years to fix it, right? You know, it was a three-year project to fix the Wi-Fi. What were the the infrastructure challenges you had to bring these uh, these amazing innovations like the mobile app and visual search and uh, uh, so forth. Yeah, no, I mean, for us, I mean, as the in-store experience designer, Scott, I, I really tried to steer clear from the store Wi-Fi, uh, mostly because customers use that, right? And I, and we knew early on that it was spotty. That was just the truth, right? Um, uh, the network would go down, the wireless network would go down multiple points in the day without warning. So it was really difficult for us to test a technology um, on that. Now, I, you know, since then, uh, I know Team Orange has made massive investments in improving the store Wi-Fi. But to answer your question directly, what were some of the challenges with bringing some of these up infrastructure-wise? If, uh, if you steer clear of Wi-Fi, I'm just going to call it the pipe size, bandwidth. Yeah, right? that was like, another huge problem for us too. Yeah, like just let's just call it bandwidth. 
right? Because one of the things that one of the tests that uh, I put into the store was um, I hypothesized that having a live social media feed inside the store would would benefit the customers. In other words, what you could see real time tweets, real, real, real time posts on Pinterest and, and Twitter in the store to kind of, again, get into that uh, uh, multi-channel perspective. Um, you know, in addition to that sort of like live social media feed, we were pumping in a ton of digital content that was held uh, at a third party cloud infrastructure, right? So next thing you know, you need a bandwidth for that. I've already talked about how we wanted to bring in online content into the stores. And so we had these 55 inch screens on, on the end caps. So, so for me, I feel like there was a lot of demand uh, needed uh, for some of that. And so um, it was just obviously the pipe size and just bandwidth overall was definitely going to be a, a uh, an opportunity. One of the other things that we far and away um, kept me up at night was from an innovation perspective, Scott, was maintenance. You know, let's call it whatever, day two, day 30, day 100 support. Like what I'm trying to say is as you're designing the experience and on day one and the night of install, it's working great. <laughs> it's working perfectly. It's working great. But I'm just saying how it's only a matter of time right before a customer rams into it with a flatbed right or or some two by four you know like you know rams into it or for whatever reason it goes down right and one of the one of the things that was a uh, a painful lesson for me was that we as humans and retail designers we focus on the target and we focus on bringing that target live that day, right? And then what happens is we high five and we hug each other. And then what happens the next day, Scott, like we all disperse into the wind. Yeah. So then the reality is, is that day two, day 30, day 100, day 365, it goes down, right? So what is that support? Is it IT that supports this? You know, is it, is it, is it my team that supports this? I, I'm just saying that maintenance of some of these innovations were, we're killer, right? Yeah. And um, so uh, I think that certainly the, the the pipe and the bandwidth maintenance, those are some of the big ones as well. Um, training, raising awareness, you know. That's what school. I was going to mention was, the, you know, it was a big deal as well. Over 400,000 store associates. And how are you going to raise awareness about that? So, um, so I, I, I could go on. We could, I, I know I'm pushing my hour time here, gentlemen, but. Um, yes. Yeah, so I I'll just talk, I mean, honestly, we could have a round two just talk about that stuff. Yeah. yeah, we'd love to have a round two, but let's so let's yeah, before we run out of time, let's let you get to uh, your fourth area and oh. <laughs> that, that we promised the audience. Oh, yeah. well, you know, and and let's talk about, about your, your venture. Yeah, no, thank you so much, gentlemen. And really, this is the opportunity that. Uh, that I'm thinking through is how do I take this knowledge about home improvement and innovation and, and what am I going to do next? And I love retail so much that upon reflection, my greatest contribution to retail wouldn't be to go back to consulting and wouldn't even necessarily be to go back to work for another retailer. But my greatest contribution would be for me personally just to start up my own retail brand, right? Which I'm calling Homebirds. Now, the target market for Homebirds is still going to be in home improvement. And what, I, as I mentioned before, and Scott has kind of built up the suspense, a fourth category, uh, which I like to call the DKA, the don't know anything, right? And Scott and Carlos, you guys both know this, right? Just because you buy a home doesn't automatically make you a DIY, right? And so what does that mean? And so for me, that there is a large percentage of new homers today, right? That without shop class in high school, right? Without, without firsthand experience, right? Um, and uh, what are they going to do from a home improvement perspective? Scott, one of the things that I learned you know, in this journey is that 70, 72%, 72% of new homeowners have zero experience in home improvement. So what, is, what does that mean, 
right? And what does that mean for the millennials post COVID and in the middle of COVID that end up that bought a house, you know, in the U.S. in the past 12 months, right? And one of the most sobering stats that I read recently, Scott, was was that 64% of millennials that purchased a home in the past 12 months have have regret regret it, right? They have regrets about the home, right? And there is a common pitfall affecting millennial homeowners today is that you're they're focused so much on the actual purchasing of the home and being able to qualify get the loan for the home that and not enough thought on what happens when you get the keys and how do you actually maintain the biggest regret right the biggest pain point for these homeowners is the cost of home maintenance right pain point for these new first-time homeowners is the <laughs> Carlos it's so funny but like they underestimate the cost of home maintenance right and so for me right you start especially with the knowledge of home improvement you know the the purpose of, of the brand homebirds and what I'm looking to build it is really a platform right a shopping platform a content platform really focused on that first time homeowner um, and who I affectionately call and don't know anything, right? Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, right? There's no pride here. I, I walk, you know, in home improvement stores, even with my experience, um, and I'm confused a lot, right? And so for me, you know, the, the eye-opening opportunity is that after seven years of intensive home improvement retail experience, and I walk through, you know, these home improvement stores myself, and I'm confused. To me, there's an opportunity, and and my focus, uh, Scott, is absolutely on how can I best serve uh, first-time homeowners uh, in the U.S. and and uh, and the best way I can do that is really adopt this. I'm, I'm with you, right? Like, um, I, I certainly am a, a don't know anything in many categories. And so certainly uh, look forward to being back on the show and, and updating you on how, it, how, how progress is going. So Albert, I think you're onto something there. I think that's an amazing use case, amazing story. You know, I'm living that in somewhat, I, you know, I'm a pretty capable do-it-yourselfer, you know, but I, but I have a millennial daughter that just recently, like just a, you know, a, a month or two ago, bought her first home and she's definitely a DKA, yeah. uh, you know, who just went through a bunch of major renovations, you know, on the home and, and really had to just learn everything from scratch. So, you know, I know could have benefited uh, you know, from uh, uh, what you're offering. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, you're going to be very successful uh, at this. Uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to get to talk to you, Albert. And uh, I'm uh, so happy we got to share some of your insight with our audience. So thank you so much for- uh, Thank uh, you guys so much. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thanks. All right. You have a great day.